shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria, from the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So, of course, I can see the picture that I bought in the words that I read. But what seemed to jump out to me at the time was the fact that there was a highway there. I don't know why. I don't know why that stuck out to me, but it did. And again, I was intrigued by this idea, so I began to search it out. Historically, there has always been a highway there. And interestingly enough, it is called the King's Highway. It's an ancient trade route connecting Egypt with Syria and ultimately with all of Mesopotamia, as well as being the invasion route used by invading armies both northbound and southbound throughout all recorded history. The pharaohs used it, Nebuchadnezzar used it, the Assyrians, Phoenicians, Hyksos, Parthians, and Medes, Alexander the Great, and Caesar Augustus all used the king's highway. And glimpses of these historical events can be seen throughout the scripture, but they only reflect the activities of man, humanity's ongoing efforts to complete the Tower of Babel and ascend higher than God, to become powerful enough to not need God. But God said there will be a highway. God said there will be a highway. Therefore, it will be something that accomplishes his purposes. And that is what I was looking for. Now, please understand the events that I'm sharing with you took place over years of time. This didn't happen in a week. This happened in years. So it was now 1980. Four years has gone by, and I find myself looking once again at the highway. In Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance 
with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk in the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Good news, huh? Good news. Ah. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. And so there it is. God's highway is holiness. And in 1980, I don't have a clue as to what that means. But a lot of other people in movements and denominations think they do. Do this, don't do that. Wear this, but don't wear that. None of this and never touch the unclean thing, especially when they are people, or you will get defiled. Be careful about what music you listen to and only sing hymns or in tongues. Guitars are okay, but never use drums in worship because the rhythms come out of voodoo-filled Africa. Do you remember that whole phase? <laughs> right? So I join a Pentecostal holiness church. Because I'm looking for the highway of holiness. I mean, it was in the name, right? searching for the highway called holiness and leave four years later almost crushed to death by the weight of the law. Rules and regulations beyond belief. But I also got filled with Holy Spirit and a few of the gifts of the Spirit began to manifest. But the spiritual atmosphere of the denomination was oppressive and I longed for liberty and freedom in Christ. Highways allow for movement, high-speed movement. And so I moved on. Then somewhere around 1998, 99, and I've been heavily engaged in foreign missions work and had been in and out of Egypt and heading for Iraq, where I would get to visit and explore all of the ancient cities built by Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, beginning in verse 8. It says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Now, please don't be mistaken. That is not a good designation. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Iraq, Akkad, Kelna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehobothur, Kalah, Rezin, between Nineveh and Kelah, that is the great city. 
So once again, I begin to get impacted by the highway theme, only this time it's in Isaiah 19. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. Now, please remember that last statement. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. And they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Now, remember in, in Isaiah's day, Assyria included Iran and all of Iraq. The borderlines were, were quite distinctly different than they are now. Okay? And Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria. Did you catch that? So you've got Egypt, you've got Assyria, which is Iran and Iraq today. Think about your news broadcast right about now. Where is everything focused, right? It's been like hell over there, hasn't it? What do you think the chances are of Egypt and Assyria coming down together to meet in Israel to worship with the Jews? Now, they might come up and come down, but I guess would be it wouldn't be for worship, right? They have something else going on. This has not happened yet. This is unfulfilled prophetic utterance from Isaiah. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. And then I have a dream. In the dream, I'm walking down a corridor underground. The floor is fine sand, and the walls are built of massive blocks of stone. And as I turn a corner to the right, I encounter two figures who appear to be one-dimensional. In other words, they look like cardboard cutout figures, full face but no depth. If you turn them sideways, they would be pencil thin. They stood there side by side in a menacing posture with their arms extended out to either side as if to block my way. But what was unique about them and what I understood to be their identity was that one had the face of the sun and the other the face of the moon, as you might see them in a clip art format, almost cartoon-like. I stopped, I looked at them and said, the Lord rebuke you, and they disappeared. I continued through the tunnel and again turn a corner and encounter another figure. 
This time it's a single figure that is massive in size and made of cubes of solid stone, very three-dimensional. He said to me, you won't get past me that easy. And as he assumed a defensive posture, I said, oh yeah, watch this. Arrogant little. <laughs> I am. So I step forward, and I take one step to the left. I step forward again, and I take one step to the right, and I'm already beyond them. And I wake up from the dream. And seeking the Lord as to what the dream meant, he began to talk to me about the highway of holiness and asked how one would get onto a highway, and I said, an on-ramp. And how would they know where the on-ramp was? And I said, they would see the sign for the ramp. Whereupon he said, I want you to go to Egypt and Iraq and post the signs for the highway. Do you remember what the signs would be from Isaiah? Let me find that again. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts. The pillar, the signpost at the borders would be a sign and a witness to the Lord. That's what he was asking me to put in place. The signpost for the on-ramps of the highway of holiness connecting Egypt to Assyria. I simply said, okay. I won't get into all of the details of what that okay started in motion, but I ended up calling a friend of mine, Dr. Naji in Cairo, and told him I was coming to Egypt and about the dream. He stated that he knew what the sun and moon represented and where we had to go and what we should do. Then, through some friends in Jordan, I made plans to enter Iraq. I made two signs on 9 by 12 corrugated, it looks like cardboard, but it's really kind of plastic, okay? that said in English and in Arabic, Highway of Holiness, and flew to Egypt. I made two stops with Dr. Naji, one at the Great Pyramids, where I climbed halfway up the side of the pyramid that faced Jerusalem and posted the first sign in a space between two blocks. It was a space between two of the giant blocks, and I reached in and Dropped it, and it went down into the pyramid. So signpost number one, Highway of Holiness, is now embedded inside the Great Pyramid at Cairo. You think I'm weird yet? (laughs) I thought I was weird doing that. And then we went into a chambered corridor beneath the Sphinx to pray because it represented the sun god and tyrannical rule in Egypt. The corridor was identical to the one in my dream. From there, we drove to Cairo University, which at the time was the headquarters for the Muslim Brotherhood, who uses the symbol of the crescent moon on their logo. We drove around the perimeter of the compound seven times praying and rebuking the spirit of violence and murder, which each trip was over an hour to encircle this thing. It was a massive undertaking. Both of those organizations are now inoperable in Egypt. 
From Egypt, I went through Jordan into Iraq, which is a story on, all on its own. Anyways, I went to the walls of ancient Babylon to the Ishtar Gate, the gate that Nebuchadnezzar left through to go and destroy Jerusalem and conquer all of Israel. The gate was being restored to original condition by Saddam Hussein, and I found a gap in the bricks where I was able to insert my second signpost inside the Ishtar Gate, which was then, within a week, sealed up completely. So now in Egypt and in Assyria, the signposts have been posted for the Highway of Holiness. I found out afterwards that just that month, Saddam Hussein had completed a paved highway connecting uh, Baghdad to Jordan. So now the Highway of Holiness is a paved roadway connecting Assyria to Jordan, Jordan to Israel, Israel to Egypt. The highway has been completed in the natural and posted in the spiritual. Saddam Hussein is no longer in power. Actually, he's no longer breathing. The Coptic Church in Egypt and the Assyrian Church in Iraq are the two oldest continually existing Christian churches in the world. And both are right now under severe persecution. And sandwiched between the two of them is Israel in a war all of its own. The battle for the highway rages on. I wonder what the next chapter holds. Today's question, where did all of this start for me, this adventure? Was it my small obedience to follow the prompting in my mind concerning the picture? Or in my small desire to examine the word of God, the scriptures, to search the thing out? No, it was none of that, and actually, I cannot lay claim to or take any credit for when it started. It started with the faithfulness of a young college couple, the Greens, who in obedience to a prompting from the Lord invited a most unlikely guest to their home for a steak dinner and a hope for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus' love with what must have appeared to them to be a real mess, because I was. A young couple, ordinary, everyday people, walking in the way, going to school, pursuing their careers, invested a few hours of their time and a nice meal into the life of a stranger. Recognizing my brokenness, they introduced me to the fixer. Jesus, and release me to go on a kingdom journey on a highway of holiness set aside for God's purposes. Their journey became my journey, and mine will always be part of theirs. So with that lead-in, I want to show you a video clip. Everything with the glory and never-ending love of God our thirsts were satisfied in the fountains of this love. There was no pain, no suffering, no war. My friends, it was so very good. 
But then, the melody was broken. Like fabric, the seam ripped. Like vinyl, the track skipped. Like a toddler, the world slipped. And we lost the beauty and the glory and the rhythm of the song. In our pride, we rejected God and ruined the state of Shalom. But from the beginning, the king had a plan. A way to fix what was broken, a plan to use the chosen to redeem what was stolen, a plan to change the world. So to save humans, God became one. To forgive sin, he put it on his son. And though our king tasted death on the cross, his resurrection proves that he won. And through that cross, he saved for himself a family of sons and daughters through whom his glory would shine. God's forming a redeemed people, not to retreat to communes and steeples, but chosen to be a part of the rescue of the next few, an army of ambassadors defying the world's power structures and all its corrupt systems, its selfishness and greed that trample others in an instant. We are the resistance. And the movement spreads through the everyday ordinary businessmen and soccer moms, grandmothers and good neighbors, lawyers, teachers, baristas, contractors, white collar, blue collar, no collar at all, regular people like you and me, united by the one who lifts the curse of the fall, filled with his spirit, laying down our lives, denying ourselves for the good of others, giving ears to perceive gospel acoustics, inviting others to come hear the music, welcome to life on mission, join the everyday mission of God. is the next step in our discipleship process. Everyday, ordinary people. We are the greens that someone's waiting to meet. Some mess is wandering around, waiting for an invitation to a steak dinner, to a cup of coffee, to a conversation, to an opportunity for someone to listen to their story be heard. We put uh, this is the book. So this book is going to be released on September first. This is going to be a training grid for disciples disciples to become disciplers in the first phase of discipleship, which is sharing the good news. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Share the good news. Step one in discipleship. Step one in making disciples as you are becoming a disciple at the simplest inroad in that I can find for this process to happen. So the book gets released on September 1st. Next week, I'm going to have a sign-up sheet. Uh, we're going to have as many small groups as people are willing to open up their homes that we need to fill the numbers. Uh, they'll happen on various days or nights of the week. Um, the book comes out in September. Could you put about the, the Bible study? That's the Bible study? Okay. The Bible study comes out on November 1st. So that means from September, probably second week of September, all the way through to the first week of November, you'll have the opportunity to read the book. Starting in November, five consecutive weeks on a DVD-facilitated uh, Bible study, we will learn how to, in very natural ways, uh, impact the lives of neighbors, friends, workmates, strangers, 
uh, you will become the greens of Laconia. You'll become the ones who will open up your homes, your hearts, and your lives and invite the world in to be discipled in very easy terms. Now, they've got this really kind of neat uh, tool. If you could, yeah, go ahead and run that. World surrounded by broken lives. This brokenness is seen in suffering, violence, poverty, pain, and death around us. Brokenness leads us to search for a way to make life work. In contrast to this brokenness, we also see beauty, purpose, and evidence of design around us. The Bible tells us that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly where everything and everyone fit together in harmony. God made each of us with a purpose, to worship Him and walk with Him. Life doesn't work when we ignore God and His original design for our lives. We selfishly insist on doing things our own way. The Bible calls this sin. We all sin and distort the original design. The consequence of our sin is separation from God, in this life and for all of eternity. Sin leads to a place of brokenness. We see this all around us and in our own lives as well. When we realize life is not working, we begin to look for a way out. We tend to go in many directions, trying different things to figure it out on our own. Brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for something greater. At this point, we need a remedy, some good news. Because of His love, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus. God in human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin and shame to the cross, paying the penalty of our sin by his death. Jesus was then raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Simply hearing this good news is not enough. We must admit our sinful brokenness and stop trusting in ourselves. We don't have the power to escape this brokenness on our own. We need to be rescued. We must ask God to forgive us, turning from sin to trust only in Jesus. This is what it means to repent and believe. Believing, we receive new life through Jesus and God turns our lives in a new direction. When God restores our relationship to Him, we begin to discover meaning and purpose in a broken world. Now we can pursue God's design in all areas of our lives. Even when we fail, we understand God's pathway to be restored, the same good news of Jesus. God's Spirit empowers us to recover His design and assures us of His presence in this life and for all of eternity. You'll notice the, the symbol we've been working with over the last several weeks is is involved in this. Now, I showed that particular one because he was using the tool just on a napkin. Now, obviously, sitting in you know Starbucks or something, and you get in a conversation, and well, what are you talking about? What is the gospel? And pull out the napkin, get a pen, and and you've got the equipment right there. But if you're high high techy and you got a smartphone. They've got an app where you can download this thing, and you take out your phone, and you tap it, and the first circle comes out which says God's design. 
and you begin your story, and then you swipe it, and that arrow goes right across, and the next circle forms, and you can get it right on your, on your smartphone or on your, your tablet or, or whatever you're working with. So you've always got the tool at hand. If you don't have your smartphone with you, you can pull out a napkin because you've been trained and equipped through reading the book and doing the training in the Bible study over five weeks. The message is simplified. And I think it would be an awesome uh, next step in our process of becoming disciples who disciple others to become disciples. So we're going to be going to be heading down that pathway uh, starting in September. Like I said, there'll be a, a sign-up sheet next week. So pray about uh, and think about how interested you are in this next phase of discipleship because if you think listening to me on Sundays is discipleship, you miss the message somewhere along the way. All right? Because I don't even like listening to me every Sunday. So, so we've got to move on to something a little more hands-on, and I think this will be good. All right, a good transition point uh, on, to, on to bigger things. You know, we've got some other things in play for training and equipping for doing the stuff. You know, Jesus didn't just speak the word. He did the word. You know, he put into action the things he was preaching. We're ready and willing to equip you at that level also. But if you don't know the good news message, if it isn't emblazoned on your heart and you don't have a way of sharing it, then you're working with half, half your stuff. We want to have you uh, fully equipped to be kingdom, kingdom workers for the glory of Jesus and for the well-being of, of souls.